Amen. Thank you, Brother Vaughn. Before you stand for the scriptures, I want to encourage you before you walk, when you leave today, uh, that you avail yourselves to the Easter invitation flyers that we have. We have some very beautifully draft, uh, graphic designed uh, Easter flyers. And there's a track that you'll have that's, a, that's a back in front that basically gives the details of our, of our special that weekend. Our Saturday, we'll have a children's treasure hunt in the afternoon followed by an Easter musical, which will be in the evening at 5.30, and then again the following Sunday morning, April 1st. And uh, the big thing we have for the next 30 days on our calendar is to really pray over and emphasize reaching people with the gospel and having a large, large Easter weekend turnout. And we're asking all of our church members, I don't know if it was in your bulletin this morning, but definitely tonight, we're asking all of our church members and attendees to be prayerful about 10 people that you'll make an invitation to for this. Rule of thumb is normally if you invite 10, two will commit to coming. And as you start inviting them now over the next 10 days or so, you'll have people that will will just give you some interest. We have this little book that we've prepared that gives more details so you can go back and sit down with them and explain to them just what's going to happen, what to expect, and some upcoming events. A very, very well thought out uh, booklet here that will help you just to communicate the gospel to them. And the flyers that we have are in, are, in, are in three languages. They're in English, Spanish, and Chinese. So we want to encourage you to get those out. We will have translation for those services. But help us to be prayerful about that. Tonight we'll spend more time talking about that. And we're just trusting God to help us make over 25,000 contacts over the next 30 days to, to just reach people with the Lord and, and to fill up our room that's overflowing and, and uh, seeing God work this. You help us with that and grab some of those flyers, if you would, in the back. Everyone try to take at least 10 and give them out. I went to stop off to see somebody on the way into church. So many yesterday got a commitment yesterday uh, for, for Easter. And maybe, probably from that commitment, we'll probably get two or three other families that will come out of that. And we're just going after folks this week. And I want to encourage you, maybe you're someone very shy and you're saying, Pastor, I know people, but I'm just kind of shy about introducing them. i tell you what you do. We'll, we'll, we'll be great basketball players. You come bring me along, and you make the assist. How's that, okay? And you bring me along, and we, you introduce us to them, and we'll get them to come to church and get them excited about the Lord. And that'll just be a wonderful, wonderful thing. We just want everyone to have an involvement and be very encouraged, Lord. And this is going to be a very, very invigorating month, and just watch what the Lord's going to do. And then we'll tell you more about April in a, in a week or two here as far as some fall things we'll be doing for that. So be in prayer for us that the Lord will work mightily through that. Let's stand to take our Bibles, Exodus 17 tonight, this morning. Exodus 17. And uh, we are continuing our series that's kind of on the thought of I believe. And I want you to go to Exodus 17. And I hope you'll be back tonight for, for our, our, our service tonight to just be a shot in the arm. I'm preaching from Psalm 68, verse 1 says, Let God arise. And I want to encourage you tonight to be here, and we want to see God arise in our lives, and just be encouraged from that passage of Scripture of the Lord arising in your heart and mind in areas where we just need, just need His help there. Exodus 17, if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please share your Bible with them. For those of you who have been saved and in the church, well, familiar passage of Scripture, but we're just going to take a little bit of a different twist this morning and just asking the Lord to work in our hearts as we look at this matter of faith today. Exodus 17, verse 9, actually verse 8, notice verse 8 if you would please, Exodus 17, verse 8. Then came Amalek, and he fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, then Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady till the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I want to call your attention this morning to a battle that was there uh, before they entered into the promised land, a battle between Israel and a man by the name of Amalek who represented the Amalekites. And I want to preach a message entitled this morning, The Good Fight of Faith. 
And recognizing this morning that it takes just it's, there's more involved with the spiritual battles we have than just one person fighting them. And my encouragement this morning is that God would work in our hearts and recognizing how each of us has a vital role in supporting each other and seeing the power of God work in your life and mine. Now, Lord, today already we have been encouraged and uh, lifted in our hearts through the singing of the choir and the congregational singing about Jesus saving, about rescue of the perishing, about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, about Jesus coming again. And Lord, as, as believers in Christ, sometimes, Lord, we can just, just so compartmentalize in our own will of the world. We forget that, God, that you are alive and, God, you are on the throne. And the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout all the earth. And, God, I'm thankful that while you, we're asking that you do something great here in San Leandro, God, I'm thankful that you're doing something great in Myanmar right now. And I'm thankful, dear God, you're doing something great in Sri Lanka and something great in Tokyo, Japan. I'm thankful you're doing something great this, this morning in Mexico City, Mexico. And God, all around the world, that God, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro. And for just a moment today, we ask that your eyes would be focused on this auditorium and every room in this church, build, this church, uh, this church facility. And we pray for the touch of God and the hand of the Lord upon us. Even as I read to the men that assembled in the office today, I pray that you touch my lips and put your words in my mouth and to speak only those things which I should say. I pray, Father in heaven, that the Spirit of God would prevail in our hearts. And I pray that, God, you'd break that which is strong about us. And, Lord, help us to recognize our weaknesses and how much we need to depend and call upon the Lord. Father, this morning, someone here today may not be saved. They not, may not be sure where they're going to spend eternity. And I pray before they leave this facility, they come into the realization that Christ died for their sins and rose again from the dead and offers to every sinner the free gift of eternal life. I pray for every child of God here today to find hope and to find help and to find, Lord, happiness in the Lord. And God, I pray today that we'd make this passage very real to the minds and hearts of your people. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, and I may kind of gravitate for a few weeks on, on a series looking at the life of Joshua. We're looking at the very first mention of a man by the name of Joshua. I don't know about you, but I've, I, as every time I read through the book of Joshua and I read through the writings of Moses, I get excited about Joshua. Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. He's the Old Testament rendering of the name Jesus. And Joshua is a man that was a great hero of the faith, a representation of what biblical leadership should be all about. He's an inspiring character. He teaches us how to trust in God. He's a picture of a great leader of the Lord, a great servant of the Lord. Joshua inspires you and me how God does the impossible through your life and mine. And he's going to teach us as we look at Joshua for a few weeks about how to pray, how to have faith in God, how to humble ourselves before the Lord, how to exercise faith in the Lord. And this morning, we want to see the very first mention of this man by the name of Joshua. He's not brought into the scene at a very easy time. He's brought into the scene at a very difficult time in the life of Israel today. And I want you to notice as we look at this passage of scripture, it speaks about where you and I are at in the Christian life. That is, once we leave this auditorium today and we go back in our cars and go back to school and go back to work, that we're back in the trenches once again. And there in the trenches, that's where real Christianity is tested. There's where God really determines, we determine before God, how well did we receive the word of God and how prayed up are we for the next challenge. You see, the trenches are where the battles are fought. And the trenches are the places where Satan attacks us and the flesh attacks us and the world attacks us. And we find ourselves struggling sometimes. And then and many times we find ourselves victorious. As we look at this this morning, I want to encourage us today to find in this passage of Scripture the secret to victory, the secret to overcoming the enemies of the faith, and how that as we're in this fight of the faith, it's a good fight of faith. And now every one of us need to resemble what Joshua did here in, in Exodus chapter 17. First of all, this morning, what you notice in verse 8, we see the, we see the mention of an enemy, a subtle enemy. Leading up this passage of Scripture... We find Israel has just been in the, it's just been out of this, this, the crossing of the Red Sea for just maybe a couple of months there. And they've just been testing God and God's been testing them and God had shown himself strong for them. And leading up to our passage here, they're in an area called Rephidim. And Rephidim, you might want to write this down in the Marjorie Bible if you don't have this down. It means a place of rest. And there at Rephidim, they got there and they recognized there were, no, there were no water sources there. And we read that the people are discouraged and they're hard and they start complaining because there was no water. 
That's kind of amazing because we go over to chapter 15 and they had come to this area after three days journey. They'd come to this area called Mara where there was no water. And they started complaining then and God provided them water at that time. And he led them to this oasis and the oasis, God turned the bitter waters into sweet and God took care of their need. And you would have thought that after that incident that they could recognize that God would be there for them. But they just didn't recognize and see that. And the Bible says they started chiding with Moses and the word chiding means they were at strife with Moses. There was contention between them and Moses. You know, sometimes in the walk of faith, as we try to exercise faith, as the leader tries to encourage us to go further, sometimes we're a little bit skeptical and <laughs> sometimes we're a little bit uh, wary about what we're being told or encouraged to do. And uh, we find ourselves at odds with the leadership and we find ourselves in contentious about those things. Moms and dads, you know how that is. Your children get a little bit older and you tell them they need to get in their homework and you try to get them disciplined to follow a rigid schedule and they come home from school, they get right into their homework and get it done and every parent's concerned that their kids are not up way late at night and doing their homework and they want to get some rest because they get back up early in the morning and you know how it is if your children are in public school or or any of our charter schools they get to about that ninth grade level and they're they're at this place where they're taking uh you know advanced placement classes and all these things and they're driven and driven and driven and thank god for that but you know sometimes you could be a strife there's strife about those things sometimes we may have a we make a vision may be cast about some things you come tonight i'll tell you about some things the lord's leading us to do as a church and i think you ought to get excited about and and uh, god's leading us to do it and at first we're going to be kind of like sarah did when sarah was 99 89 years of age and the lord said for the fifth time you're gonna have a son we're gonna go ha, 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 ha. that's not going to happen you know that just is not possible there and we'll have a little bit of skepticism and about what's going on and so we find ourselves as strife there and that's what happened with moses here the people chided with him. There was strife with him. They said, how do we know God's going to take care of us? How do we know God is still real? And what should have been fresh in their minds as far as the parting of the Red Sea and fresh in their minds as God providing the manna every morning, six days a week. And they were to gather enough on the sixth day to carry them over for the seventh day. And now God had met their need with water before. Now they're facing the same circumstances, but they had forgotten all those things. And the people started murmuring against Moses. And God told Moses, he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to, there's a big rock there by Horeb. And he says, I want you to take that rod that's in your hand and I want you to strike that. I want you to strike that rock. And as he did, so water started to gush out. And I don't know about you, but I've always tried to imagine the gushing forth of all this water as, the, as Moses touched that rock with that rod as he hit it and he smote it one time and water was gushing out and water sufficient to meet the needs of three million Jews. I don't know about you, but that's an abundance of water, amen? That's just water coming out of there. And the rock speaks so eloquently of us about, to us about the Lord Jesus Christ, that He's the rock of our, of our salvation. He's the foundation of every believer. Another foundation can no man lay than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning, sister and brother and friend that's here today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, anything else that you've got your trust in, any other dogma that you're trusting in, any other religion you're trusting in, any other religious leader, that you think is your founder may remind you today all of those belief systems are nothing short of shaky ground they're shaky ground they're shifting sand upon which we we complain with that we're standing on but when you put your faith and trust in jesus christ he is the solid rock upon which we stand he is a rock that never wavers listen let the storms blow and let the rains come no matter how the storms blow or the rains come jesus will never fail you I'm reminded today that Jesus is that rock, but he's also the water of life. And as the rock was struck, he offered an ample supply of water. Every need was satisfied. Every place, every person had been touched by that water there. And I remind you today that if you're spiritually thirsty, come to the well that will never run dry. Come to Jesus and satisfy every thirst that you have. We notice as that happens there in verse 7, that Moses called the name of that place Masa and Meribah. Now Masa and Meribah are mentioned many times in the Bible. We find it again in the Psalms. We find it again in Deuteronomy. We find it again there in Numbers. We find it also in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. Masa means temptation. Merabe means strife or contention. And it was there that they named the place. That was a place where they were tempted and there was strife and contention. And Masa and Meribah were symbolic of the fact that the people had gotten to the place where they had gotten so used to the works of God, their hearts had become hardened. Oh, brothers and sisters of Christ at Heritage Baptist Church, let me encourage you. God is doing wonderful things in our church and wonderful things in your life and my life. And let us not become hardened to the things of God. All right. 
praying for God to do some great things for this Easter outreach and for the next several weeks to come that all of us will, will get engaged and all of us will participate and all of us will bring somebody to church and watch the mighty work of God as the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented on Saturday night and Sunday morning there on March 31st and April 1st and we'll see hundreds upon hundreds of people trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But let's not get to the place as we watch God work that we get used to the great things of God and we get used to God answering prayer or we get used to God working in our life. Let's pray and say, God, do it again in my life, dear God. Do it again, O oh Lord, in my life. And we see a subtle enemy here. We find Israel at this place of Rephidim. They're at a place of rest. You see, every time there's testing and every time there's difficulty, God will sometimes move us along the way where there'd be a place of resting. But not only would Rephidim be a place of rest, Rephidim was also a place of provision. God had just satisfied their need and met with them right where they're at. But it would also be a place of proving. It would be a place where God would test them and Notice there in verse 8, while they're resting, while they're making, they're about ready to make their journey, coming from the backside of where the camp was at, on the backside of the camp were all the elderly and those that had children and those that were weak and those that had to be carried and those that were infirmed in their flesh, they were in the backside so that the rest who were healthy and could walk without any, without any need who were at the front side. From behind them on the backside, this enemy came down from the hillside. This enemy came called Amalek. Notice in verse 8, the Bible says, then came Amalek and fought with Rephidim and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Amalek came down. Amalek was a descendant of Esau. In fact, he was a grandson of Esau. As a descendant of Esau, Esau, their name, the names of the people that descended from him were called the Edomites. And Amalek was a distant cousin of theirs. And uh, as, a, as a cousin of theirs, Amalek had declared war on Israel. They saw Israel as a threat to them, a threat to their land, a threat to their crops, a threat to their provision. And Amalek, wherever we read about him in the Bible, Amalek is always a picture of an enemy of the believer. In fact, Amalek is a picture of the flesh. The flesh is your flesh and my flesh, which fights against us. The flesh is what wars against the spirit. The spirit lusts against the spirit and the, the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit. And these two are contrary one to the other. We realize that the flesh are, are, is our carnal appetites and the flesh is our desires that are unrestrained. And the flesh is that desire to advance itself before God. And Amalek comes from behind and he attacks Israel. I remind you today, you may be at a place of rest. You may be at a place where God has provided for you sufficiently. You may be at a place where God is going to test you wherever you may be. Be prepared on the backside when you least expect it. The enemy will come and attack you. Notice Amalek's the attacks. He represents a subtle enemy. He's a, he's a stealthy enemy. Then came Amalek. He came unannounced. He came without them even realizing he came, would, would, would come. He comes without warning. He comes when our backs are turned. He comes when we least expect him. The Bible says, then came Amalek. Let me tell you today, you might be a Christian right now. Things are going well. You're seeing victories in your life. You're seeing you're, you've come out of a difficult moment of time. And maybe you're at a place where you've just gotten saved. And you've accepted Christ your Savior. And everything seems so wonderful. And by the way, it is wonderful when you get saved. Amen. It's wonderful if you get Jesus in your heart. There's the joy of the Lord. And there's this peace in your heart because there's forgiveness of sins. And there's this realization that Jesus is your Savior and God is your Father. And there's this realization the Holy Spirit of God lives inside you. And you may be at this place of rest. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He gives us rest in our soul and rest from turmoil and rest in spite of all those tribulations. But I remind you, when you're at rest, when God has provided greatly, watch out. Amalek's going to make his way down. He's going to make his way down from a mountain. We'll make his way through the valley to take you through the valley there. Amalek came as a stealthy agent against the people of God. Now I remind you, when Amalek attacks, he attacks at all times of the day. He attacks you when you're strong. He attacks you when you're weak. He attacks you when you've had your devotion. He attacks you when you don't have your devotion. He attacks you when you've prayed. He attacks you when you don't pray. He attacks you when you have victories. He attacks you when you have defeats. He attacks you when things don't go your way and people disappoint you and you feel like the preacher disappointed me and the deacons disappointed me and the choir disappointed me and the service of God disappointed me. He'll come along the way and instill you with thoughts that are negative and demeaning against God. I remind you today, he's a stealthy enemy, but notice he's a subtle enemy. In Deuteronomy 25, what you notice in your notes this morning, he said in verses 17 and 8, remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way. When you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote thee hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou was faint and weary, and he feared not God. 
Listen. He attacks you when you're vulnerable. He attacks you when you're weak. It's a struggle for many Christians just to keep their head above water. A lot of our folks, this is a commuter church, and a lot of our folks have to commute an average of 30 minutes to two hours to go one way to work. A lot of our mothers who stay in with their children have very busy schedules. They, they are up right before the children. They make sure they get their breakfast and their meals prepared and get them to school. And they have very busy mornings and catch up things. And you think, well, what's a woman do all day long? She stays busy. She's got things to do. Listen, we can get to the place in our Christian life. We can get so busy that we, we miss our prayer time. And one day goes by and two days goes by and three days go by. And we miss our prayer time. And sometimes we miss our devotional thought for the day. And we haven't read our Bible for a period of time. And our soul is craving the things of God. And we're wondering what's going on. I'm going to tell you, when you miss your Bible, when you miss your praying, Amalek attacks. I remind you today, when things don't go the way we wanted to go, Amalek attacks. I remind you today that he's subtle in his attacks. He attacked them when they were faint and when they're weary. Oh, some of our folks here today who are very involved in the church. They work hard. They're very involved. They're at it day and night, night and day. And listen, I remind you, servant of God, be careful. Amalek's going to attack you. I remind you today, he attacks the children. And he attacks the elderly. He attacks the disabled. He attacks those who are aged. He attacks those who are far behind. He attacks when we're not watching. He attacks when our backs are turned. He taxes in large numbers. He taxes whether it's small numbers. He taxes when we're our closest friends and when we're not with our friends. He is no respecter of persons. He has no mercy. He is cunning. He is fierce. He is a murderer. He attacked them after they drunk water from the rock there. I remind you today, he's looking for people who've come to the rock and have drunken of Jesus and taken of Jesus. And he wants to attack you from behind where you're at there today. He'll attack you in your marriage and he'll attack you with your children. He'll attack your children where your children will be rebellious against you. He attacks you during your leisure time. He attacks you when you're in church and when you're out of church. He attacks you when you're in your devotional time, when you're not in devotional time. He attacks you when you're on the mountain and when you're in the valley. I remind you right now, he might be attacking you right now. I just say today, we recognize a subtle enemy who rises to attack us here. I remind of the thought of Antithesanes who said this, pay attention to your enemies for they are the first to discover your mistakes. I remind you today, we have a subtle Emily enemy there. Right after they got the water from the rock and right after God met their need, then came Amalek. But notice number two, we see Amalek, the enemy. But you notice the engagement by Joshua. We see a strategic engagement. I'm thankful that even though we are in a battle and even though we're in a war and even though we're in, a, we're in this struggle in our spiritual life, I'm thankful that God gives us a pattern, an example, how to serve Him, how to live for Him. And notice in verses 9 to 14, we see a strategic engagement. Listen, as Amalek came down, it was not a time to run. Can I help you this morning? If Amalek's attacking you, don't run. If Amalek's attacking you, don't leave the church. Amen. Amalek's attacking you. Do you know what? Just open your Bible. Just start reading your Bible again. Amen. If Amalek's attacking you, just get down on your knees and pray even more and seek out God's face there. Listen, Amalek wants to attack. Oh, listen, this past week, they, uh, uh, Pastor Chapel and the men that were involved, they had a shipping container that was shipped from the United States about the end of January. It was filled with uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commentaries. The J. Vernon McGee Foundation had uh, and made accessible some free commentaries. And God laid on Pastor Chapel's heart to, to give those commentaries to all the pastors who came to the conference. There are many of them who were lacking resources. And in addition to that, there were, there were thousands of packets that had been prepared that were for giveaways to give to all the delegates that came. And as I said earlier, we had as many as 5,000, 6,000 delegates that came for the conference there from 49 different states, 49 different countries there. And as I was preaching for Pastor Gilbert to Carol last Sunday morning, he took us to lunch afterwards. He said, Pastor Fong, we need you to pray. And I said, pray for what? He says, that shipping container with all the materials has not arrived. And I said, what happened? He said, well, we, we planned everything right. We left, it left the shores of the United States there at Long Beach there at, uh, 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 at the end of January. But we forgot one thing. And I said, what was that? He said, right in the middle of that was Chinese New Year's. And I said, well, what did that have to do with it? He said, it was Chinese New Year's, a Chinese ship. They stopped everything in the middle of the ocean. Amen. And I'm telling you, for, for a conference that big, I'm your, the, the conference hosts, which were several leading Filipino pastors that were involved with this, everyone's sweating bullets. Is it going to make it here? And everyone tried to pull their strings with politicians and people like that. Nobody could pull the strings to get this thing to move there. One pastor came to me and said, well, I've got a contact that's in there and he could go out there. And I said, I don't think so, brother. 
I think it's stuck out there for a little bit. We need to pray and ask God to do something there. And somehow someone made a call and they got moving there. And uh, on Monday night, it started making its way there. And Tuesday, the, informa- the, the delegate, delegate information had not been right. But we got word as the service was starting on Tuesday night, the opening night of the Spiritual Leadership Conference Asia, that the ship was making its way from way out in the ocean to the Manila dock there. And we prayed that together as a congregation, about 5,000 people, for God to get it there. And I'm thankful to tell you the ship made it at 12 midnight. But I'll tell you even more amazing than that are the hundreds of volunteers who stayed up all through the night through Tuesday morning from, from, from Wednesday midnight until Wednesday 9 o'clock. And I stayed up through the night, stayed up through the day, assembling the packets, getting it all together. By the time we started our conference, the morning service on Wednesday morning, all the books had been out and the packets had been prepared. Everything was ready. And let me tell you, as soon as it was announced, the books were there. Everybody that came out there for the break, they went and get their books. Amen. They went and got their stuff there. But praise God for that. As we look at those situations, thank God that we didn't give up hope and no one gave up hope and we could still trust God that that would have the things that we need to accomplish will be accomplished there. I'm going to tell you, if the enemy's attacking, it's not time to retreat. The Bible tells us in James 4, 7, to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12, to fight the good fight of faith. And I remind you today, as they were fighting along the ways, we try to have faith in God. And by the way, every time you try to exercise faith in God, the devil is going to come alongside and fight you and me. He'll tell you how worthless you are. He'll tell you what you can't do. And he'll look, say, look at your little faith. And listen, along the way, Moses recognized what's going on here. And notice in verse 9, Moses turns to Joshua in verse 9. And the Bible says, Moses said to Joshua, choose us out men and go out fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. You know what Moses said? We're going to take the battle to the enemy. We're going to fight the good fight of faith. Hey, part of believing is realize that God has called us to get our, you realize sometimes we've got to get our hands dirty. We're in a major spiritual battle when we fight the enemy there. Notice the first thing we see is this, is with this strategic engagement ensues. Notice in verses 9 and 10, the introduction to a dependable soldier. It's the first time Joshua's name is mentioned. As this story is unfolding, as the scriptures are being written here in the very, for the very first time in, jo- in Exodus 17, 9, the name Joshua is given to us. Now, I remind you, the Joshua we read about in the book of Joshua, he's about 80 years old at that time. But the Joshua we read here is a young soldier. He's a young man in the Lord. We read about the Joshua here. He's about 40 years of age. He turns to Joshua. Listen, we look to this Joshua, and, and Joshua is such an encouragement to you and me. And I want to, no- to notice this morning, Joshua, we read about him in the Bible, is a picture, is a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Joshua was the captain of the army of the Lord, Jesus Christ is the captain of your salvation and mine. Second Timothy two verses three and four, the Bible tells us that let thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man the worth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him, he is chosen to be a soldier. Whether you like it or not, God has drafted you and I into his army this morning. Amen. We are soldiers of the living God. We're soldiers in the army of God. I think a lot of us are kind of like the man who only showed up at church on Easter and Christmas. And one day, one day the pastor asked him, he said, brother, he says, good seeing you at church. It's Christmas day today. But how come, how come I only see it Easter and Christmas time? He said, sir, don't you realize that we are part of the army of the Lord? And he said, yes, sir, I know that I'm part of the army of the Lord. He said, how could that be? You're only here on, on Easter and Christmas. And he whispered to the pastor, I'm part of the secret service of the Lord. Amen. I think some of us kind of feel that way, that, that we know we're part of the army of the Lord, but we think we're part of the secret service as long as we only show up on strategic days. May I remind you, every Sunday is a strategic day in the Lord's work, amen? That's why we call it the Lord's Day there. What kind of soldier was Joshua? Notice he was a ready soldier. Look at verse 9. Job Moses said to Joshua, choose something. He already knew it. The man was already getting people ready. Joshua had already fought some battles. Joshua was already preparing himself. He turns to Joshua and he says, choose us out, men. Joshua is presented to you and me as if we already knew Joshua. He's presented to us as a man who's prepared and ready to fight the Lord's battle. He told him to go out and to choose some men and fight. He'd already been spending his time training soldiers. He was already ready for battle. He had a sword in one hand and a shield in the left hand. He was ready for battle. May I remind you today, hey, let's be ready to go to battle for the Lord. Listen, as we go out and we try to reach some people for Easter. I remind you today, we're going to give out thousands of these flyers and God's going to give us people along the way. We're going to
to be able to introduce us to the booklet too and tell them some more things. And I'm looking across this congregation at people I love. And some of you have spouses that are not saved. And some of you have family members that are not saved. And you're wondering, will they even come? I just want to encourage you to have faith in the Lord. I know the devil's fighting you. But you just go and say, listen, I'd like to invite you to my church. And I want you to be part of the Easter musical. And as they ask you more, you can take this little booklet here and explain to them. And show them some pictures and things about the events there. And just trust God to use you, to engage them there. And realize that we're just going to trust God to work in their hearts there. But we need to be ready soldiers. We need to be ready to enlist. We need to be ready to be involved. We need to be ready to respond. We need to be ready to do something great for the Lord. Hey, are you ready to do something for the Lord this morning? Amen. He was a ready soldier. But notice he was a robust soldier. The Bible says here, choose us out, man, and go out and fight with Amalek. And I remember I preached in one of our local Bible colleges a, a, many years ago. And a young man came up and he was all full of fires like young men are. And, and he didn't think that he thought he was invulnerable, kind of like the man of steel there. And he came and he said, Pastor Fry, I just want you to know one thing. I said, yes, sir, what's that? He said, I just want you to know, I just want to go out and I'm going to spit in the devil's eye. I want to pick a fight with the devil. I said, son, you go pick a fight with the devil. He's going to send you on your backside there, man. It reminds you today, we better be very, very careful that we don't go out to be cocky in our attitude and thinking that we can overcome the devil in our power because we cannot. Or thinking that we can overcome our flesh in our own power because we cannot. But it reminds you today, as we look at Joshua here, the Bible says he was told to go out and fight with Amalek. He was robust. He'd been preparing himself along the way. Listen, Paul said, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Hey, every day as we get up, let's put on the whole armor of God. Let's have our loins girt with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness and our feet shod with the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation upon our head and in our left hand the shield of faith and our right the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and then encompassing each piece with prayer and supplication of spirit let's be robust let's be prepared and ready knowing that we will be attacked but we are ready to fight to go out and fight with the amulets that are out there he kept himself fit and he kept himself sharp for conflict he was a soldier who was strong and tenacious and capable but notice he was a responsible soldier there's one thing for you to hear from your commander go out and fight but I promise you, the majority of us here today would kind of be like, okay, I'll wait and see who's going to go first. And you notice here, we see the good attitude of Joshua here in verse, verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him. Good soldiers don't disobey, amen? Good soldiers are in compliance, amen? Good soldiers obey the Lord, amen? He did as Moses told him to do. And listen, I'll tell you, there's some things in the Christian life that are not very comfortable. And there's some things in the Christian life that are don't, that kind of make us a little bit uneasy. You know, God wants to move us out of our place of complacency, not letting us get too, too, uh, too comfortable in what we're doing to say, Lord, what would you have us to do? This man went out. He was ready to fight for the Lord. He was responsible. Uh, one thing you read about Joshua is such a blessing. Joshua was a soldier who was obedient and compliant and faithful and submissive. He followed the Lord. And I just want to tell you today, the best leaders are those who are obedient and submissive to the Lord. The best leaders are those that you can trust. You can trust the lives of other people then because you know that they will be responsible. Listen, as a church, we've striven for 19 years as we minister to the community, telling people this. Listen, would you trust your family with our church? Would you trust your children with us? Would you trust your loved ones with us? Would you let us be used of God to be a blessing to them? And we see this man, we see this man making his way on. We see this dependable soldier. But notice something else that's even more exciting. Notice in verses 10 to 12, we see this, this dependable soldier. But notice we see a dynamic synergy. Listen, I'm thankful today to tell you, you don't fight your battles alone, nor do I, amen. I'm thankful this. We understand how God works in his family and how God works in the local church. I'm thankful today that we don't fight our battles alone. And notice in verses 10 to 12, Moses says something very interesting to, to Joshua, to the person who doesn't have a spiritual mind. They would think that Moses was making a cop out. Notice in verse 9, he says, he says, go, look, Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady to the going down of the 
Son. I want you to notice here as we read these verses of Scripture, and I'll depict it illustratively to you in a moment. I want you to understand there was a dynamic synergy that was going on. As Joshua made his way into the valley and he led some soldiers that he had prepared, they went out to fight with Amalek and to do battle with them. But along the way, Moses said, listen, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And Moses knew well enough that when we go into spiritual fight, we're not fighting in the flesh, we're fighting in the spirit. And he said, if we're going to win this battle, I've got to go to the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. I'm going to tell you today, listen, we're not going to win the battles by going out in our energy. We win the battles by getting to the mountain with God there for his glory. Listen, some of us need to get off in the valley and get up on some mountain someplace and get up to the top of the hill with God, with the rod of God in our hand. Say, God, we're going to fight that battle for his glory. Let me exemplify for you what we can do. I'm going to ask three of our men to come up very quickly. Brother Edgar, Brother Josh and Brother Joel, if you'll come up very quickly here. I want to exemplify for you. Actually, why don't you guys meet me over here on the bottom here because it will save some time. I'll walk a little faster than you guys here. Amen. Okay. I'm still on Asia time right now. Amen. Brother Josh, you're the only one not wearing glasses. So you look like jo- you look like Moses. Why don't you stand right here, Brother Josh? I mean, look at look at the muscles. Flex. Fire up. Take a look. Okay. Here's Moses right here. Okay. Then Brother Edgar's right here. He's going to be Ur. And this is going to be Aaron. I want you to notice what's happening here. Joshua's out fighting the battle with Amalek. And Moses said, listen, I'm going to go to the top of the hill. This is the top of the hill. This is the top as we can get right now. Amen. The top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand, the rod that God gave him. If you go back to, to Exodus 3 and 4, was that, was that shepherd's rod he had. And God said to Moses, what is that in thy hand? He said, it's just a rod. He said, throw it on the floor. And he threw it on the floor and it turned into a serpent. And Moses started running from it because he got scared. It was a venomous serpent, kind of something, kind of a cobra type uh, serpent he'd seen in the sand there. He said, no, 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 I don't want you to run. He said, take it by the tail. And all of those of you who know anything about snakes, you realize you don't take a snake by the tail because if you do, don't... Into your, into your face, amen? You don't take a snake by the tail, you take it by the head, right? But God said, no, I want you to take it by the tail because I want you to have exercised faith in me that I'm able to do the impossible. And so he takes it by the tail and turns back into a rod once again. He tells him later on, now put your hand inside your coat like, like Napoleon, amen? And take your hand back out and he turned white as a leper. And then he put it back in again. He turned his hand, took his hand out and he turned normal again. He said, listen, Moses, I want you to understand something. I could do something great with your life and you just trust in me that the power of God can work your life. Now Moses is here. He's on the top of the hill. Raise your hands up, brother Josh. Raise your hands up like you're a victory. Do, do, do a rocky job like this. Amen, okay? And do one of those, okay? And he's got his hands up. He's holding the rod of God in his hand. Now watch what happens. Aaron and Hur are standing by them. They're just waiting to see whatever needs to be done. Aaron was his brother. Many believe Hur married uh, Aaron, um, Moses' sister Miriam. Some believe that. Some commentators believe that he married the sister. So these were two of his closest friends, his brothers in the faith, a brother-in-law and a brother there. And he's holding the rod of God up. An amazing thing happened as he held the rod of God up as he held that rod up. Listen, Joshua just was prevailing. He was winning against the enemy. They were whipping them backside and frontside. They were beating them really well. But along the way, if you notice, anytime you hold something up, no matter how, how, what, what the weight may be, over time, your arms just get tired. You ever get tired like that? Hold a little baby, you get tired like that. That's why the wife hands it to the husband, right? And the husband's a little wimpy. He gives it right back to his wife. Amen. Because <laughs> he realized how heavy the baby is. Now watch what happens. Brother, brother Josh's hands are going lower. And lower and lower and lower every time. And watch what happened. Josh is winning the battle and all of a sudden they realize, hey, how come we're, we're retreating? We're not winning the battle. And they looked and they and they looking here. People look at it and said, hey, the hands used to be this high. Now they're this low. And they, there was a correlation. They realized as the hands of Moses were up, they won. As the hands of Moses went down, they were losing. Hey, listen, First Timothy 2.8. I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Okay, these are holy hands. You know where we win the battles of life? We win the battles of life in the prayer closet. We win the battles of life by getting alone with God and praying with the Lord and praying in Jesus' name and praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit that God would use you and me. And as we pray, listen, this is a symbol of you and me lifting up holy hands before the Lord. I will that men pray everywhere. Listen, God wants you to pray spontaneously. And God wants you to pray continuously. He says, I will that you pray everywhere. Listen, you don't have to pray just in your prayer closet or by your bedside or in your office. You can pray right now. Just don't pray while I'm preaching. Amen. And pray that God will just work in your life. You just pray that God will just do what needs to be done in your life and mine. And he's praying. But notice along the way, his hands start getting heavy. So Aaron and Hur started realizing there's a problem with this. And so notice here, Hur comes along the way and he holds him here with two hands. And Hur and Aaron comes along the way. Put your hands down. His hands are lower. Now watch what happens. 
Wow. Wow, I feel these biceps, man. Okay. Wow. What a correlation. As Aaron and her helped the hands of Moses, Joshua's thinking, man, I feel like a new surge of energy. What's going on here? We're beating the enemy. We're prevailing against Amalek. I remind you today, the intercessory ministry of every Christian today in Heritage Baptist Church is needed so that you and I can win the battles that we face day by day. Husbands, husbands, lift up the, wife, the hands of your wife in prayer. Amen. Wives, lift up the hands of your husband in prayer. Students in a Bible class, lift up the hands of your teachers in prayer. Church member, lift up the hands of your pastor in prayer. Amen. His hands were lifted up. They were prevailing. Moms and dads, listen to me, moms and dads. How are our children going to live for God if we're on two different pages? Yeah, come on, preacher, go ahead. Listen, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to the knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Listen, that your prayers be not hindered. Easter's coming up. We're going to compile a list of names. We're going to lift these names up before God. That God would prevail and win souls. Last Saturday as I was preaching, I gave the invitation at Bulacan at the mall that was there. I didn't really know what to expect. I gave the invitation. Starting from the back, making self to the front, and hands were going up to get saved. We were thankful for Bible college students who were there and pastors who were there. And we quickly organized everybody and said, let's get them in groups. And I want you to make sure that they all got saved and go over the gospel one more time. And I told, the, I told the pastors and their wives who were trying to work with them, I said, listen, I want you to give me, I want you to find out the name. I said, if you got saved, in fact, we did this at the university. If you got saved, I want you to write your name down. I'm going to take it with me. We're going to pray for you. I've gone on my desk five pages of names i can't read all the writing but i'm gonna pray for them amen they kind of like write write like me the only claim to being a doctor i can give you i can write your prescription it might get filled amen (laughs) pastor nathaniel Uwe, who helped organize it sent me a message on friday night i just arrived back and pastor farm want to apologize to you i said and i'm thinking what's he apologizing for he said, we told you, my wife told you on, on last Saturday as you were making your way back from Bulacan back to Manila. She said, I wanted you to know that we, we told you that 141 got saved. I got to apologize. Your number's not right. And I thought, well, what's the number? And he says, I want to apologize. I want to let you know we counted up the numbers, got all the reports, and 156 got saved. But you know, that didn't happen because I preached. It happened because there were some Aaron Hurs that were holding up the hands. We need to hold some hands up today. I have some pictures I want you to see for just a moment. I'll show some more tonight. Missionary Nathan Kanashida, supported by our church. Nathan Kanashida is in the most difficult part of the world, in the area of Tokyo, Japan. Some of our members have had occasion to visit him. For years, his church has just been outside of a major subway where at least a minimum of a million people a day walk right past his church. Average church in Japan, in Tokyo, if they run 20 people after 10 years, they're doing really good. Brother Kanasha is already running 60 to 70 people strong. He came to and said, Brother Fong, thank you and Heritage Baptist Church for supporting us. We are starting a Bible college this coming year to Come train on. laborers for the Lord. Yeah. You, know what, you know what Brother Kanasha needs? He needs some of us to lift up those hands. Yeah. <laughs> Getting too heavy. I've got to lift his hands up, amen. I've got to lift these hands up. Amen. They're thinking, well, who's going to lift my hands up, amen? That's where you come in, amen? Who's the first pastor I had on there? Who's the first bishop? I've kind of blanked out. Who's the first one I had there? Oh, see the man on the right next to me? That's Pastor Paul Byers. How many are from Cavite? We have some members from Cavite. 
Okay, we have some, we have some members. I told them about you guys. I told Pastor Byers about all of our members from Cavite. We have three or four families here. Cavite is on another side from where I was staying, and I was looking forward to going there. Pastor Paul Byers is legally blind. You see those two men next to us? The first one's name's Cookie. What's the other guy's name? Will. Will. Cookie and Will. Not Will Ho, but Cookie and Will. Amen? <laughs> and I just want to show you what was going on here. Pastor Byers cannot see like you and me. I mean, he could probably see about this close. Where we are standing is on the site of a four-story concrete building. Now, he may not be able to see physically, but I'm going to tell you, he's got a lot of vision spiritually. Yes, sir, he does. We walk from the ground floor all the way to the top, and I'm telling you, a, a building that's not constructed. Listen, I feel safer in our building than I did in that building, all right? Those stairs, I kind of walked up and said, okay, man, if this goes down, the church will not hear from me forever, amen, you know? And we got the top. I'm telling you, listen, that top floor is bigger than this, this building floor and that, that building combined. Yes, sir. That man's got vision for God re- using him to reach Cavite for the, with the gospel. Right. Those two men, those two men, for the whole time we got to the church campus in, in Tanza, Cavite, until we got back to the car, they drove us back to Manila. Those men were like this. They just held the pastor's arms yeah. like that Good. and walked them along the way. No wonder they're building a church for God. Let me show you another one. Cornelius Sacramento. Brother Sacramento visited our church last year. Very shy. Very shy. It took him about three weeks before he let me talk to him. And, uh, and out of the blue, he sends this message. He saw that I was coming to Asia, and he sent this message to Brother Justin. He says, could you ask your father if he'll come to Bulacan to preach for us? And I said, but Justin, I said, I'd like to, but I need to see what Pastor Chapel has on the schedule. I, I don't want to go outside of what we're supposed to do. And uh, our schedule the day where we were supposed to go got canceled. And so just a week before, he contacted Brother Sacramento. I said, Brother Sacramento, we can come. Brother Sacramento said, great, I have it all lined up. I have a university I want you to go to, and I want you to do this, do this, and this. And bear in mind, the first day you arrive, you know, after flying, you're just kind of like, you don't know if you're in the body or out of the body. You just know you're there, amen, you know? And so we were there, and I was wide awake. He was wide awake. We said, we'll go. And, you know, from, from we were staying at Pasai Bay, it's about a two, two-and-a-half-hour drive, if traffic's normal, amen? How many understand traffic being normal, Amen. And we got over there, and uh, man, we didn't have time to drink a bottle of water. We got, we got out there. He says, this is where you're going to preach. I walked in that room. Listen, Cornelius Sacramento has been there for 30 years. He's worked the relationships on that side of Bulacan. Listen, they know him well at the university. They know him well at the elementary schools. And basically, he told them some foreigners were coming that would be helpful to them. They let us preach. And listen, we're in good with the administrator. In fact, the administrator said, Pastor Fong, I'd like you to come back and preach and, and or teach our people once again, teach our students once again. And that was just the local university of Manessas. That doesn't include the big one, much larger than that. But you know what? Pastor Sacramento needs some men holding up his arms. Yeah. <laughs> hey, think about think about strong you'll be, Josh. Your wife is going to be so proud of you, brother. <laughs> but let me show you another one. I want you... Want, <laughs> hey, see this? How many remember Tiryanru, Sri Lanka? Amen. Come on. You know what that is? That's a picture of a hundred Pakistanis. Amen. The non-Muslim Pakistanis are fleeing the country. One of the countries they could get into is Sri Lanka. We just happen to have a faithful missionary who's been there since 1991 doing the work of God there. They're clinging into there. And what happens, the moment these Pakistanis, they arrive into the country, everything they have is stripped away from them. Their money, the only thing they're allowed to keep are literally just the clothes on them. They can't find work. Their immigration status is, is just kind of in flux. It's a mess there. Brother Lundru heard about the situation, started reaching out to them one by one. And it's very overwhelming to them what's going on. God has given him 200 Pakistani contacts right now. They're ministering. This is about 100 of them right there that they're ministering to. And he said, Pastor Fong, he said, I need you to pray with me. He says, one of the reasons why I'm really asking God to do for me in this conference is we need some laborers to come help us here. We're overwhelmed. We're short of money. We're short of laborers. I said, well, I can tell you right now, you're not going to be short of money too much longer. Our church will come along and help you with amen. this. Amen. Dollar a day to feed one of those men. I said, we'll take care. 200 men, we'll take care of two months for you and trust God for the rest after that. I want a brother Unruh to know is a supporting church for lifting up holy hands. But I want you to notice something else. 
They were heavy hands. The Bible says two are better than one. I don't know why these guys would let me push them down like this. Amen. I'm not holding your hand. Hold on. Okay. Heavy hands. Hey, do you know when you serve the Lord, your hands get heavy? Do you know when you serve the Lord, your heart gets heavy? I can't tell you how many times I wept during that conference. Moment we moment we arrived. Weeping for souls. I met a Filipino missionary that came up to Brother Justin and I. His name is Garcia. Pastor, I need to talk to you. He's in Vietnam for the last 10 years. He's in Ho Chi Minh City. I've been praying for the gospel to get into Vietnam. Do you know the gospel is in Vietnam? Yes, sir. This man has started three churches. He has seven mission works. Would you come preach for us? Pastor Sacramento has one of his members that went to the UAE. You know where the UAE is? They started a church there. Pastor, I've already got an invitation. Next November, would you come to the UAE to preach the gospel? They need to hear that same message. Listen, sometimes your heart, your hands get heavy because as a preacher of the gospel, you can't be everywhere doing everything for everybody like Jesus. And your heart gets heavy and your hands get heavy and you wonder, your head gets heavy, you wonder what's going on. But thank God there's some Aaron and hers that hold the hands of once the land. And I'm just saying to you today, listen, our church is a wonderful place in our Christian life at being 19 years of age, going on 20. We need some brothers and sisters in Christ to hold up each other's hands and hold each other up in prayer and hold up our marriages in prayer and hold up our youth group in prayer and hold up our college division in prayer and hold up our Chinese ministry in prayer and pray that we'll get our Spanish department back up again and hold up the Spanish department in prayer and whatever other language God gives us, let's hold Hold their hands up in prayer, amen. amen. There's holy hands, but there's heavy hands. Let's give them a big hand, amen. <laughs> but you notice something else? We see a dynamic synergy. Look down a little bit further. Notice verse 13. Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Do you notice verse 13? We see a dominating success. In verse 12, Moses' hands were steady until the going down of the sun. When he found the help he needed, his hands remained steady. The Bible says in verse 13, Joshua discovered Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Listen, you know how we're going to win the battle? We win it by prayer, by holding up the hands of each other when those hands get heavy. But listen, we also win the battle through the edge of the sword, which is the sword of the spirit. Use your Bible. You're not going to win over the devil and over the flesh with your wit. You're not going to win over the devil with alcoholic anonymous per se. You're not going to win over the devil through psychology. Listen, we're going to win over the devil. We need the holy word of God in our midst. King Henry VIII died on January 8th, 1547. His son, Edward of England, at nine years of age, came to the throne. The right of succession went from the Henry VIII to his son Edward, nine years old. And typically what they would do is they had the ceremony, they would bring out the swords that represented kingdoms that they conquered. And three swords were presented that were laid out representing three kingdoms that were under the domain of England at that time that they had conquered. And little, little Edward looked at that, that and, he, and he got very agitated in his face. They said, King, is there, sire, is there something wrong? Is there something wrong? Yes, there's something wrong. He said, there's a sword missing. They said, what sword is missing? He said, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Remind you, that's how our lives are at times. We think we can conquer with our wit. We think we can conquer with our strength. And we think we can beat the flesh by our own willpower. Listen, there is no strength that we have that's more mightier than God's word and prayer. And listen, we must rely upon the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrows. And the discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them. And they were the joy and rejoicing in my heart. Mind you today, we need God's word. It's, char- it's like a mighty hammer that pounds away. It's like a mighty fire that burns away. I just say today, we can't win any battle without the word of God in our lives. What you notice as we close this morning, we, we see a, this enemy 
We see an engagement. But you notice an emblem. And you'll notice in verses 14 to 16, as we study this, the Lord is using this to prepare Joshua for 40 years later when Joshua would succeed Moses, even though it had not been announced. Somewhere along the way, I think God gave Moses some insight. This is going to be your successor. And uh, he said that the Lord said to Moses in verse 14, write this for memorial in a book. Can I help you with something? Watch this. There are books and journals we should keep that are essential for the Christian life. One of those is a prayer journal. Another of those is a reminder of the victories God gives you through prayer and the victories God gives you in our church. So write this for a memorial and he says, I want you to rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. He said, this is something so special. I want you to repeat it again and again and again, because I don't want him to ever forget the battle was not won by military might. The battle was won by being on their knees, praying to God. And the battle is not won by trying to use a physical sword. The battle is won by using the sword of the Spirit. Rehearse in the ears of Joshua. He said, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. He said, listen, you defeated Amalek, but you didn't wipe him out. He says, I'm going to wipe out Amalek. Moses writes this down. He's putting it there. Moses, notice in verse 15, he realizes that something very holy has happened. By the way, every time God does something great in our lives, it's holy. And Mo- Moses did something that was very interesting. That moment of time, a bunch of battle-worn, fatigued soldiers, scared mothers and grandmothers, children crying out, not knowing if their daddies would come back alive. Very chaotic situation for those in the camp, unchaotic for those who fought in the battle. And the Bible says in verse 15, Moses built an altar, and he called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And watch this, I'm done. Jehovah Nisi, if you don't know the name, that means the Lord who is my banner. Every country flies a flag. They lift a flag, and I hope you'll forgive me for this for just a moment. I thought about this when I came here today. He said, I'm going to give you a new name, a new revelation. The revelation I'm going to give you today is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. And he says, I want you to lift the banner up because thou art, thou hast set a banner over me with love, he says. He talks about it in Psalms. And he's talking about that as a, as a victorious nation flies its flag and waves its flag in victory and letting people know that, 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 that we've made a conquest. God said, I want you to know something. You're not going to fly a physical flag. He says, I'm going to give you, I'm your flag. I'm your banner. Now I remind you of this as we close this morning, as, as he wrote down the name Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner, that we're going to fly, we're going to fly the colors of the Lord brightly. And we want people to know Jesus as our Savior. We want people to know this is a church that's interested in souls. And we want people to know that this is a missions-interested church. And we want people to know we're burning for people to get saved. And we want people to know that God answers prayer. Along the way, may I remind you, there was a banner that was lifted up much greater than the banner that Moses held of that day. And that banner was the cross of Jesus Christ that 2,000 years later, Jesus would die on the cross for every sinner. And the Bible says, if I be lifted up, I will draw men into myself. Listen today, aren't you glad today that the banner that that you and I own is the banner of Jesus Christ today. The banner of the cross. The banner that represents a Christ who died for our sins and shed his precious blood for every sinner. Listen, that's why we go to the Philippines. And that's why we go to Latin America. And that's why we go to Asia. And that's why we go to San Leandro and Oakland and Alameda and Dublin and Livermore and places like that. We want the people to know there's a God in heaven who still saves souls right now. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who's my banner. God brought in the eyes of the people a new leader. His name was Joshua. And for the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it simply says this about Joshua. Joshua, the servant of Moses. May I encourage you this morning, Heritage Baptist Church needs some Joshua's. I need some Joshua's who are strong and have a good courage. Wep, take your sleeves and roll them up and serve the Lord. 
to lift up holy hands, to lift up heavy hands, to take the banner of the Lord. You see, the Christ who died on that cross, he's still saving sinners. He tasted death for every man that he might bring all sinners to Christ. As a reminder, as we lift up this banner, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This morning, we invite you today to hold up some hands. This morning, we invite you today to take your hand. If you're not saved, to take your hand and slip into the hand of Jesus Christ. Because he says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Hey, today, he extends his hand to you and offers you the gift of eternal life. Would you grasp it? Would you trust him as those we minister to in the Philippines trusted Christ? Would you do that today? Would you lay hold of the Lord? We need some people lifting up holy hands. We need some people lifting up heavy hands. We need some people holding on to the Savior's hand. Would you call upon him today? Father, today, thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, for this wonderful, encouraging story about Joshua and Moses and the work of God. Father, we are fighting some battles today in our own personal lives, in our church. There's some Amaleks that have attacked. We're weak. We're vulnerable. We need your help, Lord. Thank you for the Joshua's who are ready soldiers, responsible soldiers, willing to obey and follow the Lord. God, in a moment, we're going to encourage our folks to be a Joshua at Heritage Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that we'd all engage ourselves to holding up holy hands, holding up heavy hands, holding up hurting hands, holding up each other in prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And then, Father, this morning, thank you for Jehovah Nissi. You're the Lord who's our banner. That flag waves high. But the cross is lifted up. The cross which represents our Savior who died for every sin. For every sinner here today. We invite folks to come to Christ. Oh, this morning, please work in our hearts. May your work be done. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Every head bowed and every eye closed. How many of you would say today, Pastor Fong, God spoke to me today to be a Joshua. To be a good soldier in Christ. To be someone who is willing to fight, with the, to hold the sword of the Spirit and be used of God. You'd say, Pastor, pray for me. God's worked in my heart. I want to be a Joshua in my faith. Did you raise your hand? God bless you. We need some Joshua's who have a Joshua faith. How many would say today, you can put your hands, how many would say today, God spoke to me today about being an Aaron and a Her of lifting up holy hands and lifting up heavy hands. You'd say today, God spoke to my heart today. Would you pray for me that God will help me to hold up the hands of others? Would you raise your hand today? We need to hold up the hands of our family. Children, you need to hold up the hands of your moms and dads. We need to hold the hands of people in church. Then how many would say today, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure today that if I was to die, I'm going to heaven. But I want to know for sure. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that today? Pastor, pray for me. I want to be sure I'm going to heaven. Anyone like that? I want to be 100% sure I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? I want to know for sure I'm saved and going to heaven. Father, this morning, you know the hearts of your congregation. Father, today we are encouraged from Joshua's life. But Lord, now we need to go to action. We need to obey you. The Bible says Joshua did as Moses commanded him. And Lord, there's something you've spoken to every heart we need to do. Help us to obey you now. As we give the invitation, help us not to delay, but be obedient. Because now is the day of salvation. And now is accepted time. Help us to fulfill what you want us to do with our lives. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. We have our altar workers here. I invite you to come this morning. Find your place at the altar, would you? Find your place at the altar. We need some Joshua's. We need some people holding up holy hands and heavy hands. Would you be someone to hold up a hand? Would you get a burden for a foreign country? Would you get a burden for your family? Would you get a burden for your children? You can't do it by yourself, and I can't do it by myself. We need helpers today. We need to lift up the banner of Jesus Christ. Would you lift up that banner these next 30 days and help us get the gospel to people who need to hear about Christ and get them here on Easter Sunday? Would you help us with that? Let's do that this morning. You're not sure you're saved. We invite you this morning to open your heart's door and call upon the name of the Lord to save. You can just simply ask Jesus right where you're at. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Please save me now. Would you come? We'll sing another stanza. I invite you to come. Come just a moment. Please come. Please come. Maybe you're at that place you've been saved, but you haven't taken the next step of scriptural baptism. 
the altar workers here would love to tell you and give you instruction how baptism is the next step of obedience to the Christian life. Would you do that this morning? Get involved and stir it up for the Lord. Would you do that? We need a lot of hand holders. And many of you are. Thank God for that. Many of you are. We need others. Would you come? Young people, would you be a hand holder? Would you lift up holy hands? Would you do that? Oh, God in heaven, we're so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful, dear God, that you give us a word of encouragement. Help us along the way. May, Father, the decisions we are making around the room, they be sealed in our hearts. But, Lord, may they be put into action to the glory of God. Lord, if someone here is not saved before they leave the premises today, I pray they come to Christ. And for others today, Lord, who are not, who, Lord, who just need a, a movement in, of the Spirit in their lives, help them to obey the Spirit of God. Raise up soldiers and those who lift up hands. And God, help us as a, as a, as a church to raise the banner of Jesus Christ high that others would know Christ is saving. Father, a few moments we need, we'll be dismissing and letting people go home to rest. And we pray for a vibrant Sunday night service tonight where you'll work greatly in our hearts for your glory. Please bless and work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing for just a moment. I'll have Brother Will Ho come and close us in prayer. But just a reminder, please get some of these, um, get those tracts and booklets. Would you help me with that? Everyone, try to invite 10 people. You say, I don't know 10 people. Well, what a great challenge. You're going to go make nine new friends. Amen. <laughs> And uh, we're just going to go make some friends and, and just invite some people to come. And you'd be surprised the people will respond. But let's, by faith, okay, let's, by faith, let's not let it, let's not let God's word fall to the ground. But by faith, let's seize hold on that and invite some people to come for Easter. And, and they can come before Easter. That's okay, too. And uh, let's pray for that. And then come tonight. You'll be so encouraged tonight from Psalm 68. Let God arise. Oh, you don't want to miss that passage tonight. God was working in my heart after one of the preachers preached on, on uh, Thursday morning. God worked in my heart and placed that passage on my heart to preach today. I had something else prepared, but God wanted me to preach this tonight. Don't miss that tonight. We want you to be part of that. And let's just pray for God to do wonderful, wonderful things. Come back tonight. Some more reports to tell you about that will encourage you. Brother Will, would you come and lead us in closing prayer? And my wife and I will be in the back to shake your hand, and we look forward to meeting you there. Okay.